In 1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard. Order. Story is the universal human language. We learn who we are and how to make sense of the world through story. It can also be a means through which we can engage and encounter others. Story can communicate truth in a way that other forms of communication cannot. Our friend and spiritual advisor David Goa puts it this way. It is often the case that you cannot change someone's mind when it is captured by particular kinds of ideology. But if you are present, if you listen, you will almost always get a story. You will always get the opportunity to speak to that which has meaning, that which you care about. And that will almost always move the heart. And that is much more important than changing the mind. Today on Rector's Cupboard, Todd has a conversation with Jonathan Wright. Jonathan was a lawyer, practicing tax law, but left that to write and tell stories. We hear about Jonathan's podcast, about vocation and meaning, and about the blessing of story in our lives. Thanks for listening. Well, we're pleased today to be joined by Jonathan Wright, who is the writer, storyteller, voice of the podcast Hello Unknown. Jonathan graduated from UBC in Vancouver with a degree in law, other degree as well, and practiced law for 10 years plus. He recently sold his practice and is now taking time for storytelling and writing, committing his uh, vocational time to that. And the first full season of Hello Unknown is available now. I've listened to it. It's fantastic. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you access your podcast. Hi, Jonathan. Hi. hi. Welcome Thanks here. Thanks for having me on. Um, so before we you know, get directly to the podcast and stuff, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your growing up and what influenced you? I'm first interested... What influenced you towards reading? Because I don't know any writers who aren't first, like, really yeah. quite voracious readers, particularly if they're good writers, you know. So what moved you towards reading and your interest in story? Yeah, I think that came along very naturally. My my dad had this this thing, which I think I'd like to do for my kids too, which is sort of a, a blank check for books. So if, if ever I wanted a book, he would buy that book. Um, and that has led to some not some imperfect habits i guess i have a i have probably at least 100 books that i haven't read and, right. and i'll probably only read in my life maybe a quarter <laughs> of those but um that i think more than anything contributed to my love of reading you you sort of build that momentum there's also a little bit of um competitiveness in me sort of like a conquering so I remember like competitiveness against the story in the book itself, like get this thing finished. No, it, no, it's more. So, um, when I was eight, for example, um, I was told that someone was reading a, a big book. It was, it was a red wall book. 
Um, and I think they're like 300 pages or so. Oh. And, you know, for an eight year old, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's impressive, but it felt impressive to me at the time. So, to, so I just wanted to conquer it. And so I, I would read these longer and longer and, and, and sometimes that worked. I remember being, uh, asking for the Silmarillion, uh, when I was nine and that, that did not work. And I still can't get through the Silmarillion. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you're the only one. Um, <laughs> Uh, so there's, there's some of that, there's some, some sort of momentum and conquering, but I, I, um, I've resonated with story my whole life. Um, I, I think that I see my, myself through story. I understand myself through, and people and life through story. And I have a very vivid imagination. So when I read something that's really well written and really vivid, it, um, it, it engages me on a level which uh, almost no other medium can. Mm-hmm. So, some of the best TV can yep. do that. But um, novels, I think, more than anything. But a book does it in a way that... Um, I mean, you, you mentioned feeling kind of connected to story and how it resonates with you, how, how that particular medium kind of can communicate things that maybe other ways can't. Uh, what about how story connects with other people? So this is not only you, right? And some some people would say this is universal, that that the human language is the language of story. Why do you think story matters so much to so many people? I, I feel like there's almost no other way to understand yourself than through story. Um, I feel like fundamentally um, you, you, you go through life sort of bumbling around in ideas and theories um, and and story goes beyond any of that story especially story that's really true to life just hits right at the heart um, and can sort of reverse engineer the ideas but in a really meaningful way it can create things that ideas um, that sort of abstract concepts can't do when you say that, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, thinking myself, what resonates with story for people? And you say, like, helps us to some degree understand who we are. Nothing does that as well. Um, what about bad story? Like, is what is, I'm thinking of, I'll kind of lead where I'm thinking here, a story that is too prescriptive, right? Or that just says, here's the one thing that you have to know, or that's too much of a lesson or something like that, right? Um, is story... Is story being open-ended kind of one of the things that helps us see ourselves there, do you think? I know that bad story is tedious. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know that I don't have a lot, of, a lot of patience for it. I don't know if a good story has to be open-ended. Yeah, okay. Though I do feel, if, if, if by open-ended you mean that it's, it's not about an idea that they're putting forward. Then yeah, I do believe that it it has to, right. so it's it's the um, but it can still have a moral. It can still have there doesn't have to be a certainly yeah. I guess I'm I'm, I'm misspoke on so it, I guess if it's prescriptive, if it's yeah. saying that this X must mean Y, then might then don't do a story. So it doesn't allow allow you to ask any questions. Yeah, I mean that's one thing I listen to your podcast and I I'm, I'm assuming you want this to happen so. Um, it just leads the listener, I think, to ask good questions too. Yeah, it's my there's, well, it's my hope for sure. There's something being said there, and that's uh, so. The next piece I'd like to ask then, um, as we move more directly to speaking about the podcast, 
I know from knowing you a little bit that you grew up in what some people some people would call church culture or whatever, right? Like some kind of religious upbringing. And then you have this word in the title of your podcast, unknown. Uh, I'm interested in um, how did how did your upbringing um, tell you stories? How did your upbringing kind of present certainties to you? Like this is the way to understand the world. And maybe how did your upbringing allow you to uh, hold this concept of the unknown? I grew up with uh, Christian parents, Christian home. I went to a uh, Baptist church uh, in, in West Vancouver. And um, there was actually a, a really specific moment that I remember um, that was quite formational. So I, I had I just got back from Keats Camp, uh, which yep. is the camp I, uh, I, I attended uh, annually. And um, I was listening to my pastor and I, I I got this sense that the faith that he was putting forward was was what I call sort of box Christianity. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if mm-hmm. if if you agree to these things, then you're in the box, and if you don't, then you're out. How old do you think you were? I was twenty, and I remember being I remember being uh, uh, being sort of really upset about that, and I remember also this this sort of. <laughs> Um, a sense that I, I could do better, like I could, I could mm. preach better, and I remember being—you're <laughs> not the only one to think. That. Well, I remember, and I remember f- feeling this sort of tension of I completely disagree with this, and uh, I, I'm so arrogant that I'm feeling this, um, this that I could do better, um, and my anxiety sort of just w- went through the roof during that time, and I actually couldn't sit through sermons, so I, I would leave the church and go for a walk in the. Um, uh, uh, the graveyard nearby. Yeah, it's right um, there in right? the church. Yeah, yeah. and um, and wow, I would—that's a picture right there. And I would do that. I would do that every single Sunday. Basically, I'd leave in the middle of the sermon, ex- probably extremely rudely. Um, and I, I ended up leaving that church. And and the thing I think which, and I and I, I stopped reading the Bible. I, I couldn't. I sort of felt too anxious about it. Um, uh, and the thing which I think saved my faith or at least gave me sort of new life was, was uh, actually existentialism. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I was reading Camus. Um, okay. And uh, for those listeners who are not s- super familiar with existentialism, the, the idea is basically um, uh, existence before essence. So the idea is, is the, the things that we um, uh, experience, um, the relationships that we have, um, the, the, the things that are in front of us, um, come before the essential. So the, the ideas that you can sort of pluck out of this, these sort of universal, um, uh, objective, prescriptive ideas. And that sort of allowed me to be able to go back to church and listen to my pastor uh. and, and say, oh, like, I don't agree with that. And that's actually okay. I don't have to, I don't have to believe every single thing that is said. And they don't have to know everything that, that is, is true. Wow, that is right. fantastic. Yeah. Did you discover Kierkegaard and stuff in this time, or I you'd did. already read Kierkegaard? Probably? I discovered it at that time. Yeah, I actually had um, <laughs> during this time. I actually I read um, uh, Fear and Trembling. Yeah, and I actually had a, a panic attack at um, or, or something like. You're not it. the only person to have that reading Kierkegaard. <laughs> yeah, at 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 Regent College. Um, uh. I I just this um, so Fear and Trembling begins with a retelling of the story of Abraham and Isaac and That's God. Right telling uh, Abraham to kill his son. And the way that Kierkegaard's able to describe it is, is such that it, it makes it so clear that Abraham had no framework to uh, about this request. It was just, D- 
do it. And then it was complete darkness. It was stepping out into the utter unknown. And I remember feeling, if this is faith, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can do this kind of like, I don't have any framework whatsoever. It's just complete stepping out into darkness. But that was my, I mean, all of this, you can hear it, right? That's I the unknown. It. It's the unknown that's I that, can hear it. that I'm starting to. That, that, that hearing this answer, you know, gives a richness even more to the podcast. Like it, it's interesting to, to hear what you're saying here. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad for this, for this answer that uh, how you, speak of these things you're not the only, I, I hold that image of you leaving the sermon to walk through the graveyard I think there's there's something there's something in that that just uh, so then the, the other little strand then to add is so you go through that you're 20 years old then yeah um, then you so you're already post-secondary yeah. you're going and you become a lawyer yeah so you've made it yeah <laughs> Right, I mean, this is, but to most people, he's mm-hmm. a lawyer. He must, he must be super happy, have everything together, and <laughs> you know, and and money and whatever else. So, how do you weave in ideas about work and career and money? Mm-hmm. Maybe if you want, like vocational fulfillment, mm-hmm. uh, you've you've left right now at this mm-hmm. time law. Mm-hmm. What compelled you to get into law? Sure. Um, and what about all your ideas of kind of vocation and meaning in the world around that? So what compelled me to get into law? So my, my idea at the time was that um, I would either be a professor or uh, a lawyer. I, I flirted with psychology, but then I, I, um, I, I dropped that. Um, and the phrase that I would tell everyone when I said that I was going to be a lawyer is that I, I didn't, I didn't want to write books about books, which is my idea of what a, what a um, professor would have been, right? I mean, right. there's a lot of teaching, yeah. but... So I wanted I wanted to have sort of the intellectual aspect and and also the people aspect and that was kind of that was my motivation um, and I remember there being a moment it was at Rock Garden uh, which is a um, uh, it was kind of a young adults uh, thing in in Burnaby here and I I just had this I remember having this moment of peace when I was thinking about going into going into law yeah. and so that that's the reason I I chose that. Um, how many years of school is that here for you? Um, so it was, undergrad was four and then law was three. Yeah. And I took a year off in between. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it was, yeah, seven, seven, seven years of schooling. Um, and I, I didn't like law school. No? No. Um, uh, English. Is that a common experience for people or do you know? It depends. Yeah. I you mean. You felt that more maybe than. I, I don't. I certainly there are a lot of people who disliked law school. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my undergrad was English, and and I got to read uh, novels. Uh, they were my textbooks, and a lot of them were really good. And I got to read instead of reading, you know, um, uh, critics. I my, most of my almost all of my professors would let me read like philosophy and use that to sort of critique. So I would be wrestling. Actually, it was really similar to my podcast. I'd be wrestling yeah. these ideas. And then I'd write essays based on what I was wrestling with, and the professors were all fine with that. And then I remember getting into law school, and they mm. would um, there would be questions about um, uh, what what a law you know they're they're telling you what the law yeah. they were telling you what the law is, and I remember just wanting to be like, but why is right. that? But they don't. Law doesn't care about why and doesn't <laughs> yeah. care about what should and any of that sort of stuff. I, but you were there for well, so three years of that. Three years of that. Yeah. Three years of that. Did you did you feel you'd kind of like 
in the world, whatever that means, or people's general perceptions, like you're a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer mm-hmm. or something like that, right? You, um, did you have a sense that like I've made it, or this is this is what the kind of the peak of somebody my age is? Yeah, I remember. Um, so I, I was able to. So in in second year. Um, you do the you do the interview. So you, you do these interviews way in advance of when you get your job. So in yeah. second year, I would do these interviews, uh, and I was able to get a job at a big firm. I got one offer. I had a friend who had like six, but I got one, um, really luckily, and I ended up at this great firm. Yeah. And um, you're you you spend a year as an articling student. Yeah. And and you get to be told, you know, at, at a certain point, you're, you're told whether you're going to be hired back, quote unquote, as a lawyer. And on my birthday, they had scheduled these um, yeah. meetings and um, everyone had different lengths of meetings, right? Someone had five minutes, another had 30, another had 10 and 15. And we were comparing that because we're just with lawyers trying to figure of, out what it means. Yeah, or something. It's just type yeah. eight, right. And, and, <laughs> uh, and the partner I told that got really angry. It was like, why did she, the, the, the scheduler was just anyway, being ridiculous. Everyone got hired back every single, every single one yeah, of us. Yeah, yeah. And I just remember the feeling of like, yeah, like this is it. I, this is the thing that I wanted. And I got it. I got into tax, which is what I wanted to be tax in. law, tax law. And, um, yeah, there was absolutely a sense of identity around. Yeah. I, I get to, like, I would tell people I'm an articling student, and they'd squint at me and say, what's an articling student? Um, and now, now is, like, no one squints at me and says, what's a lawyer? Um, and, and there, yeah, there's a real sense of uh, accomplishment that came with that. Um, but, I, and I think you're, you're sort of angling with this. That, that went away pretty Oh, yeah, quickly. I was going to get quickly <laughs> to when it went away. Uh, but the, I'm also interested in that time. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, uh, so the three years of law school, this uh, uh, do you remember if there's any time to do this? Um, any particular stories, TV shows? How were you, what what did story mean in your life? Were you still kind of connected there? Were you st- or was everything kind of getting consumed by what you had to read for school and stuff? Hmm. It was actually at that time, interestingly, that um, so I, I have I have OCD, um, and it's the way my OCD works, I talk about it in the podcast is yeah. basically obsessing about ideas, asking myself, you know, if I'm safe. Um, and I, at the time I, I had it, I've always, I've had it since I can remember, but at the time it was, it was extremely bad and I had no idea that I had it. The um, time being and the, when you're in studying. law school, okay. in law school. And I, I remember being so anxious that um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even listen to music. Never really? mind reading. I would just listen to the white noise. Um, I could not read. Uh, really? I remember trying to read War and Peace, which is not the novel yeah, that you read yeah, when yeah. you're... Well, you like, talked about w- conquering. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just... It, y- there's... there's there, you know, there are nothing... Like Harry Potter would be the book that you'd read if you're extremely anxious. You know, you just want something that you don't have to think something about. Something you can fall into a bit. Yeah. And I, I, I just... I, I didn't read anything. I read nothing. I, I didn't write. Um, yeah, I was but yet you were able to still study. I could student. function in law school. Yeah. But I, I just, I, it, it felt incredibly, um, I mean, this, the stakes felt high with law school, but I don't even think it was really about law school. It was yeah. just sort of this, the way OCD worked for me at the time was it was just sort of all my anxiety kind of coming yeah. together in a bundle. It didn't have to be about any specific thing. And uh, at that time, I was 
uh, I was just functioning. Yeah, yeah. that was really. I, you know, I don't want to kind of make you go there type of thing. I'm So I'll say it more as a recollection of my own. When you mentioned like you couldn't listen to music, um, I had an experience when I went through a fairly significant time of depression in my life where I always have a song in my head or something, right? Like always and listening to music all the time and kind of, and for months and months and months, like there was, it's just nothing. And I struggled to listen to music too. And then as I was kind of emerging out of some of that time, I remember one time just like in the shower and I realized there's a song in my head. Hmm. And I, like, I even now can think like, I felt so, it, it wasn't like, you know, the, the darkness had lifted or anything like that, but mm-hmm. it was like, oh, it was so noticeable to be able to hear something again, mm-hmm. to be able to, for someone who resonates so much with story, mm-hmm. um, you sharing that experience is, is really meaningful. Um, so then we'll move now to how you make that shift then mm-hmm. from, from law to writing. And then I want to talk about the podcast a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us about that. You you're practicing law, mm-hmm. but right now you're you're not. Mm-hmm. So let um, me so let me before I move on to that, let let me share sort of my my own version of what you had because I, I okay uh, thanks. so so yeah I I was um I I finally went to counseling for for it and she was able to my counselor was able to identify that it was OCD and at first I was like no it's not OCD like don't you know what OCD is like yeah. <laughs> like you, you know you need to wash your hands and like this is sort of yes and yeah. and she's like no I'm pretty sure it is and and I then there's this whole thing of um you say it's not me it's my OCD like the thing that you're afraid of isn't me it's my OCD I don't need to be afraid of this thing I can actually sit with it um and I remember after after a, a whole bunch of counseling I, I sort of felt able to stop and I remember saying I think I want to stop and I remember drive mm. driving home and I, I a big part of OCD for me was to was to push down um all my feelings so I, I wouldn't feel anything um because feeling felt too risky and I remember driving and uh and the clouds just sort of separate really beautifully and the sun's there, and I felt it, and I, I f- and I felt this thing that I'd f- I'd felt my entire life, and then I didn't feel for a number of years, and it was just this sense of beauty, <sighs> uh, and that, um, it, yeah, I could, I mean, I don't think it was automatic, but I could read books after that, and you, I could feel them come back to life somehow, and you know, to go back to w- what I was saying about yeah. about story, I mean story I, I feel like really deep in my chest the best ones um and and that had been stripped it was it's like something like amazing vibrant color had been sort of made <sighs> black and white um that's that's kind of what it what had happened and all of a sudden the color was back again um it's so well said yeah it's uh there's a there's a spirituality in the way you speak about story and hearing listening um but then you've made the decision now to to give this time and energy and effort Mm -hmm. to and some things in your life have worked out so that you're able to do that Mm -hmm. so so tell us about this Mm -hmm. the 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 shift now not practicing law and giving your energy um more fully to writing yeah so this the story actually begins um even before I left the firm I was at. So um, 
so I, I, um, I decided, I think around 2015, that I wanted to return to writing this novel that I had started when I was a, a kid. A kid, I was 21. Um, <laughs> um, and um, I, I would wake up really early, like 5 a.m., and before I got to work, I would I would start writing on this novel, and I wasn't really making a lot of headway, but I sort of had this dream that that I'd I'd have this I'd I'd be able to write this novel, and um, uh, eventually, um, actually quite early, just a couple of years into practicing there, I decided I was going to start my own firm, mm. and um, I did that in large part so I would have time to uh, to write. You you were able to start your own. Yeah. Yes, I was. It wasn't always, um, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a guarantee that I'd be able to do yeah. it. I, I remember, um, making, uh, literally no money, negative money for the first seven months. Um, and then after that I started to make a little, and then I remember in June, it was, it was just before a year was up. I had a really good month and I remember thinking, I think I can do this. I think this can, can work. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's so funny, like comparing the beginning to the end. Like I remember talking to my wife, there was one week, like every time I would get a client, I would talk to, I would say, I got a client. Yeah, you know? of course. And then there was one week <laughs> I got five and I was like, this is the best. And then at the end, you know, I, I was basically clients would come in. I'd, I'd be like, oh, well, you're, you're almost turning clients away or well, wishing. You I mean, I, or something. yes, like it's, you know, I mean, I'll get to that. It, it's stressful. So, I, so, so, um, so I left, I started to write. Uh, this novel, um, and it was it was an incredibly difficult process. I, I would not have been able to do it um, without a friend of mine, uh, Drew Gilmore, who I'm, I'm shouting out. He's actually an, yeah. an, an agent now. Um, ah. If you write fantasy, <laughs> you can reach ah. out to Drew Gilmore. But he wasn't an agent then, uh, and I just I I met him randomly, and um, we we shared this love of of writing, and he, he was the first who had a real deep knowledge of writing to take the time to like completely go through my novel because I was feeling like I couldn't do it and like I wasn't good enough and and he was like well you know structurally I think there's an issue here and I'd be really frustrated I'd be like it's like no you're completely right and 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 in large part through his help I was able to actually put together a novel that I'm, I'm I'm still you know quite proud of um but then I I, then I go to 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 try and find an agent, uh, and uh, and I couldn't. Um, I I I think that I still needed to sort of fix up some things mm-hmm. in the novel, um, and also I sort of didn't really exactly know how to pitch it. Um, sure. But to come back to the unknown thing, there was this sense in me that I um, I sort of deserved the success of this thing. You know, I you know I I'd had a fair bit, uh, well, a lot of privilege in my life in terms of, um, what I, what I'd been able to uh, accomplish. Yeah. You like put your mind and energy to something yeah. and you can do it. Right. Yeah. But in large part, you know, like my, my parents paid for my schooling. Right. So I, I didn't have to have a, a job. So there's huge element of, you know, yeah. um, but I, you know, I was able to get into law school. I was able to get the good job. Yeah. I was able to start my firm. You know, I, I've sort of felt like, okay, well, I should be able to sell a novel and now become a novelist full time. And I, I absolutely couldn't. And I remember feeling this real anger mm. and disappointment with, uh, with cut, which actually, um, is another element of this sort of unknown that I'm, I'm trying to bring into, you know, this, this idea 
the sense at this time, and I think I've had this my whole life, that my my path uh, and my success was something that um, was sort of essential, like I was talking about existence before. It was essential. I could pluck it out of the sky. And I, uh, I could ask God and be like, God, will I get this? Will I achieve this? And I felt him saying, yeah, you're going to become... <laughs> It's like it's embarrassing. You're going to become a famous novelist, no, famous, um, not because I actually care about fame, right. but because the only way to succeed as a writer in that right. in that in that one percent of the one percent is to actually be famous. Of course, you know you could succeed as a lawyer without being famous. Yeah. You cannot succeed as a you cannot be a full time writer without having some degree of fame. Um, and that's interesting. I I I was not able to get an agent. Um, and I was, I was very bitter and very angry. Even I, I knew intellectually that you, you don't get to know what happens and it's also not something owed to me, but I absolutely felt in my mm. heart that it was. And, um, in, in part, um, writing this podcast was almost a, was almost, was almost a letter to myself uh. about, about the the truth that I know, um, and and sometimes like I I actually my a friend of mine will, will you know like I'll be like I'm really like oh, I think about you know this is really frustrating and and he'll be like um he'll like it's, it's reference an episode like I still am sort uh. of learning these things that I'm <laughs> I'm writing about, I, and that's very different than writing a novel writing a podcast isn't isn't it like y- yeah so 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 to come back to the story I guess so. I, I, um, as I, I'm sending out these emails to agents and it's, um, it's, it's mind numbing and soul sucking and it's, it's basically pure failure and I'm not writing anymore. So this thing, which is sort of making me come alive, Uh. isn't there anymore. And I was like, well, I, I want to do something else. And so I had the idea that maybe I could, I could do a podcast and this podcast would, would kind of make me someone that could then be you know be oh, so it's it's on the way it's on the it's way on the and it, and it <laughs> ended up being something that that actually um was was kind of so much brighter than than writing a novel ever was so n- writing a novel was always incredibly difficult um it's this it's long form um you know you 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 uh, you have an issue with one piece and then the whole thing can crumble yeah um whereas you know this this podcast uh, which i started writing in january of, of 2020 it it um I could finish a piece in a month. Um, I could have however many drafts I needed, and I'm I'm a big drafts guy. Yeah, <laughs> and and I could still finish it. You know, finish the writing of it at least, not the recording and music and stuff, but finish the writing in a month. And I got to have this sense of accomplishment, sort of over and over. And it didn't have to have. It, it, you mean need to be enclosed in itself. I've listened to the podcast, and it's great. Mm-hmm. And you know, they they each are are on their own. But also, I feel this from like someone who preached in church forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to do every, you don't have to accomplish everything in, mm-hmm. in that one thing. Totally. Whereas with a novel, you kind of can't go back, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. This, there's another episode coming mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's, uh, so I want to talk about the podcast a little bit. It's stories, recollection from your own life, um, notes from your own identity, and even some of the things you've shared here, your own struggle. Um, how do you, when you're writing, do you know 
kind of what it is that you want to say before you find, or do you find a story and then that story leads you to, to some of these other things? How, what's the process like for you? Yeah, it's different for every single Cause episode. you have a story like one time you're talking about Dave Matthews band mm -hmm. and a song that, you know, mm -hmm. and the other one is about like the six Dalai Lama, mm -hmm. right? The, mm -hmm. So you find a story and so, mm -hmm. yeah. So it always, I could say it always starts with, with the endorphins, right? It's, it starts with what, <laughs> what whatever like if I, I stumble across something that makes you go oh like that oh that's interesting I'd love to know more about that um and then I kind of just sort of dig down into it I I, I found with this so I learned with this podcast that you can make something more interesting by weaving it with something else right um and right I, I, I'll, every single episode has is trial and error there were there were some episodes where I started with something completely different. So in so I have an episode, "Good Lost, Bad Lost," which yeah, was that, yeah. which was originally about uh, d direction, and I, I'd re read all these scientific papers about how we locate our how how we understand um, uh, direction in our brains. Um, and so I'll, you mean like how we're moving in time or, or even just like geographically, ph geographical. Yeah. So, okay. so there's, so one example, um, which I found interesting was this Aboriginal, uh, tribe in, uh, Australia called, called the, I believe they're called the Gugu Yimithir or their languages, but, but okay. e either one. So th their language, um, inherent in it, you don't have sort of left, right, you have directions, and all, all of it are cardinal directions. And so you'd be, they'd be sitting in a room and they'd still be, and, and they wouldn't be able to see mountains and they'd, and they'd use these cardinal directions. So almost like um, they had this sort of magnetic yeah. sense, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, and so I was, anyway, so I, I was going to weave in um, this, this story and I just couldn't, it just died. W was I, I that because with Lost, and I've listened to that episode, I've listened to all of them. Um, there used to have so much on like the first 10 episodes and the last 10 episodes, like where the, where is this going? Um, right. Is that it, why direction was the first thing? Y um, y I, you know what? I can't, I think it was yeah, just like, some, I, some I got it. into it in large part because I thought it would be, it might be interesting, but there's no story to it. It was just science. And I, I've found that uh, I, it's almost impossible for me to make pure science come alive. I just not that sort of writer. Right. And so I, you know, I learned, I've been learning things. So I, I had to completely drop that. I didn't even have lost the, the show okay. in it at that point. Oh, okay. And I wrote in lost, um, later. Um, but it, it's, it, I, 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 it always starts with what makes me come alive and it uh, always has an element of um, uh, some, some story that I found interesting plus some story from my life. That's, those are the consistent things. And usually the, um, brainstorming process before is you know going for a run yeah. and thinking about how how a story fits to the b story or if okay. i already have the b story it's how b fits to a and the i remember one time going to a writer's workshop with kathleen norris you, you know kathleen a great writer mm -hmm. that, um and uh, it wound up being it it really was a workshop on editing um which is i guess a lot of writing you know what i mean and it was obviously i'd heard come across the the description before the phrase before um but she just emphasized that like kill your darlings yeah. with editing yeah. um have you talk is, is yeah. that some of what you're referring to here that you've yeah. got something it's like that doesn't work i got it yeah you gotta kill it yeah yeah um that yeah i've heard that phrase um yep that drew drew taught me that um, yeah yeah 
uh, my and that's drafts over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like um, so I had, I had fifteen drafts of my novel before I was able to actually get to the story that I ended up with, um, and I ended up with twenty four drafts wow. and all. Um, and I, I have one podcast episode in season two, which has 28 drafts. Like it's in, and by draft, it really just, I just really mean versions. Okay. Um, but y- you, if, if you're wedded to a certain story or a certain idea yeah. and, it, and it isn't working, yeah. then your, your story's, your story's going to be, going to be broken. <laughs> you, so you, you can't, you can't be lazy with story. That's really what it comes down to. And, and you have to listen to the smart people, the people who understand story and the people whose taste you appreciate. One of the, one of the kind of friends of our podcast here, David Goa, who's a bit of a like spiritual help mentor or whatever for us, um, orthodox theologian in terms of his. But we went to uh, um, a talk, was in the spring sometime, and uh, he had been given a title to speak on, the, and the title was The Bible, Fact or Fiction. <laughs> and he spent his first, like, 10 minutes just lambasting the title, <laughs> right? Like, how, and I remember he said something like, I don't know this is if this, he said, truth is far beyond the reach of fact. Um, that there's something better um, in truth than mere fact. Uh, do, do stories have to be true, or what does it mean, or factual? Right. What do you think about, how do you play with those? Truth is beyond the reach of fact. You can give me a fact, but you haven't necessarily told me anything true. Okay, so here's what I think about that. This is this is just my uh, my my free forming idea. I, I I think I think truth is alive and facts are dead. So truth, um, and this is something that I've come to um, recently. Tru- truth is necessarily relational. Truth is necessarily um, something that exists between humans. Um, mm-hmm. There's, you, you can't exit um, h- humanity to, to get at reality. So wh- when, when, gotcha. when I, I, you know, you hear people talk about facts, and when they say it, it's usually like used as kind of a, a, a tool. It's like a bludgeoning tool. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, a weapon and I and whenever I hear people express themselves in that way I always think like you you think that you think that this isn't something that we created you you think that this is outside of the framework of um these these collective minds Mm -hmm. over over thousands of years who who have created language and ideas you think that you can take this out of the air and just slap it down Mm -hmm. on the table and say here it is whereas um and fact doesn't get if if you're going to come at it that way you're not you're going to miss yeah. you're going to miss all the depth of of what of what truth is and the kind of bendiness you know frankly of truth and and how much um and the humility of truth you know that that we that that you know to come come back to the podcast truth doesn't exist without without unknown right beside it um that's well said. The you know when you say that I'm I'm thinking to your to the episodes, and I think that answer uh, again helps me to see more and more what you're doing and telling those stories, and I think some of the longing um, in in 
not just why these things need to be said, right? But in saying something that matters or that might matter <laughs> or that has to do with humanity, um, you weave together, like you talked about how weaving A and B or whatever, or more than that, so well in in the episodes. So much so that as I'm listening, not to, I'm going like, okay, I get the first two things here, like within the first few minutes and, and, and then go, okay, what's he going to say? I think he's going to say this, you know, and, and it's not like you're just trying to be clever or something like that. But I think every time I've listened, I've been like, oh, I'm so glad he said this instead yeah. mm-hmm. um, or allowed me to ask this instead. These are around concepts like the rules, mm-hmm. um, what it means that we have rules in our lives or how to tell a story or where a story goes. Um, so before I kind of end, ask you some of the things that you're reading now or what, and and then we'll end with our last question that we always ask. Um, like your writing in known and unknown, it's even in the title, unknown, and faith itself in Christian description, like you go biblical description, is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. And so often in my kind of evangelical experience, faith was presented not as unknown but as certainty. Has, does, does writing interact with this? Have, has your view of what, what faith means changed or grown in the actual process of writing? Yeah, so I... I write about the things that I'm wrestling with, like I said, and um, I feel like everything that I wrestle with in some way touches on faith, even if it isn't sort of fully faith-related. So things like death, which I talk about in you know a yeah. second episode. Um, yeah. Uh, I have an episode in uh, season season two um, that you know not out um, about about the universe and about the the infinite and I, I you know i read um i'm reading paul davies which is just this amazing science writer and he he wrote this book called what's eating the universe um where he goes through all of the the newest um uh, newest discoveries about the cosmos and he'll talk about uh, you know the possibility of the infinite nature of of space and um and all, and you know, Earth is thirteen point eight billion years yeah. old. And all I can sort of f- feel when I'm reading this is kind of like this terror. Mm. And so immediately, I had to, I sort of had to write about it to, to understand it. You know, to how, how, you know, how do I approach this, this idea, this terror that I feel for the infinite? Um, and so writing is my, is my way of. You know, c- to come right back to the beginning of your question of of story, it, I I tell stories around myself. Um, to to help myself understand the world and and be be comfortable with it. I tr- try not to do to be complacent. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this in my podcast where yeah. you, you you sort of come to this position, and you're like, okay, I'm you know this is this is a good spot, but you don't stop there. Um, and, and so, I, and, and I'm, I'm so aware that y- you, there, there's always something over the next hill. Um, and, and I'm part of what writing can offer me is actually an excitement about what, what that is, e- even though I'm afraid of it, I can, I can be excited to, to then be able to wrestle with it and think about it and, um, D- you know, digest it into something which has 
uh, which which I can kind of live with yeah. something which is more kind of relational. I see that I see that in the episodes like you mentioned now I haven't season two is not out yet right no it is not so uh, when you talk about the uh, Paul Davies stuff and the the expansive you know nature of the universe and you say kind of the, the mention the terror um, I would imagine like you don't have to answer this but that some of that is when something is that huge is is it impersonal like is it kind of and are we and so and then i listen to your i think back to listening to your episodes and you're bang on and saying that whatever question it is whatever you know abyss you're feeling whatever uncertainty you're feeling or the unknown um you're finding a way to to talk about it it feels a bit like company is i guess it feels a bit like company in in such kind of helpful ways but you're clearly unafraid to hit major themes and topics right like things right. that really do matter so um you mentioned paul davies what are you reading now or what have you what can you think of that you've read recently that like has connected with you yeah so i've been reading a lot of paul davies uh, i also read a lot of um michael lewis though unfortunately i i got to the end of his his oeuvre uh, <laughs> and, um, and so he's got to write some more um uh, <laughs> the, the last novel that that really came alive for me was um Piranesi by uh, Susanna Clark. And so she's this, just this one. So I'm not, I'm not a huge fantasy fan at all. Um, But she is, she's a fantasy writer. And this novel is just so, it's so beautiful. Is it new or is it, I don't know the novel. It's about two two years old. So it is new. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something. yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it has that line that so few books are able to, to, to straddle of being, um, just really um uh, like the writing is just wonderful and beautiful but it also feels like this thriller um, oh yeah it, it's basically it takes place in uh, uh, in this sort of alternate universe w- where it's it's a single man and he is in this ancient building and the entire universe is this building um and he's sort of uncovering clues one by one about what he's doing there and then very quickly that you find out there's another person uh, and it's oh my gosh, it's uh. so rich. It is just <laughs> well, we're gonna look that up for sure. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful novel. Um, and then our last question we ask all the time, and you, you know, answer it. How it, it doesn't have to be profound, but if you got some some like messages that will you know help change our lives, uh, what what gives you hope or makes you hopeful today at this time in your life at this time in history? It's not something that is easy for necessarily many people, but what gives you hope? So if I'm if I'm really honest with this, um, and this seems kind of solipsistic, but w- what what gives me hope is what I'm entertained by, and um, by that I absolutely don't mean um, you know mindless s- right. scrolling, like sort of the exact opposite. It, coming back to story, it I. I uh, my, my 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 life at the moment so, sort of emotionally is is just difficult and it's very full and w- what gives me hope is is having that thing that i can come to which is rich and beautiful and inspiring which gives me that sense of, oh, there's something there. Yeah, there's some, I understand what you're saying. There's some next 
thing. And, and so, you know, you could be in your day kind of feeling down or anxious. Um, and there's this, it's almost like your life is a bit of a mystery novel. You know, you're like, what? Oh, there's, but there's something else. Yeah. Like there's actually this thing that's, that's over yeah. there that you get, to, I get to come back to. That's, um, it's not just going to give me adrenaline, but actually going to, going to like, going to feel really, f- it's going to fill me up. I really appreciate that answer. And I hear, I mean, and listen to you um, just in this conversation, but if people um, find your podcast, which they should, um, they'll know that like when you say what gives me hope is, is what I'm entertained by is the furthest thing from like simple distraction that, that, uh, that we can still find meaning entertaining. And there's something so hopeful in that. Uh, maybe even if there are dark days ahead, that uh, there's there's something in that. So uh, for those listening, go find Hello Unknown. There's six episodes so far. You don't. It doesn't take. You know, it's it. You could binge it and be done pretty pretty quickly because the episodes are 15 to 20 minutes. I think mm-hmm. is the average, right? Mm-hmm. And there are six of them there. When's the new season coming out, or do you know? I do not know. I'm, okay. hope, I'm hoping within the year, but we'll okay. have to see. Yeah. And thank you so much for spending the time with us and giving us such thoughtful uh, response. And uh, we will keep uh, listening, and I uh, hope to have you back as well. Thank so you. Thanks yeah, so thank much, you so much. Rector's Cupboard is a production of Reflector Project and is hosted and produced by Todd Weeb, Allison Williams, and Amanda Mina. Our cupboard master is Ken Bell. Rector's Cupboard is made possible by the generous support of donors. Check out rectorscupboard.ca for past episodes, events, and how you can help fund the podcast. You can also support Rector's Cupboard by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which helps other people find us. Thanks for listening.